What is up, everybody? Welcome back to the Promenade Merchants Podcast. We are a totally independent Star Trek podcast where we talk about stuff. We talk about a lot of stuff, but it's mostly Star Trek. I'm David Majors. I'm joined by my co-host, the fantastic Heather Kirby. What's up, Heather? What is up, David? Did you have a good holiday? We had a nice little holiday break. We did have a holiday break, and it was fine. I, I had a good Christmas. I had a fun New Year's. How about you? Uh, well, you know, the nice little, like, uh, bomb cyclone or whatever they called it derailed my Christmas plans by a day. But I, I, I still got to visit the fam for a couple days and, and uh, had a good New Year's, so I'm ready to go. All right. Well, then let's jump into our first episode of 2023. By talking about Star Trek. Now, if you're familiar with the show, you already know this intro and you know how it goes. But if you're new to the show, hi, I'm David. That's Heather. We're a podcast where we talk about Star Trek. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening. Subscribe, then unsubscribe, and then resubscribe, and then unsubscribe, and then resubscribe. We'd really appreciate it. Follow us on Twitter at PromTrekPod as well. We'd really appreciate that too. It's we 2023 this- and Twitter is still alive. <laughs> for now, so follow us. We have a three-act format to our show where we start with the old business, where we start with classic Star Trek, pretty much everything from The Cage up to and including the Kelvin movies from J.J. Abrams. New business where we talk about what's happening with Star Trek currently, and then upcoming business where we look further ahead to what's happening with Star Trek. And Heather, we've got some old business to discuss, because right now we're, we're in a period where we'll talk about with new business. Star Trek Prodigy has concluded its first season, and now we have a little bit of time between the next airing Star Trek series. I swear, Heather, I'm fine. I'm okay. (laughs) I'm not freaking out at all. Are you sure? I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm okay. Okay. I, I have other things I can do. I'll be fine. But back in the day... There would be there was a long, long gap of time in between Star Trek Enterprise ending and the J.J. Abrams movies and Star Trek Discovery in 2017. There was a big gap between all of those several years. So I will ask you, Heather, when Star Trek wasn't around, what did you get into? What what were you interested in? See. Well, first off, I love it that this was your idea and not my idea, (laughs) okay? Because I will gladly talk about any form of nerddom that I have any day of the week. And for the record, folks, David did say in that intro that we are here to talk about Star Trek at least like three times, and now we're not going to talk about Star Trek for old business. (laughs) Yeah, I'm in a good mood today, David. (laughs) I'm I'm happy you're here. But um, so I, I I had to think about this because if we're talking the time frame between when Enterprise ended um, and Discovery began, it's a really different time frame for me than uh, like before that because I've stated before in my fandom like I really got into Star Trek with the Next Generation. But I didn't actually watch DS9 and Voyager when they were on the air. And I only watched a little bit of Enterprise when they were on the air. So I I had like a 
a different fandom in that that period as well. Um, but for when Enterprise, like right after Enterprise ended, I had to, to go back and think about it. But the main thing that came up into my head was like that was right around the time frame that I got into Doctor Who. Okay. And so, so this. I, so this would have been right when it had come back uh, after the 80s. So it would have been Christopher Eccleston. Uh, yes. Yeah. So uh, probably. And, and I didn't get into Doctor Who right away, mind you, when it came back. Um, I got into Doctor Who when I was in college, uh, which was at least like five or six seasons into it, um, into the, the, the new New Who, as the Whovians called it, the modern Doctor Who. Uh, so, but that that was definitely something that took up a lot of my time when I started watching Doctor Who because there's a lot to. Uh, it, it has been around longer than Star Trek, okay, and yes. it took a break exactly like Star Trek did. But there is a lot of Doctor Who to watch once you fall down that rabbit hole of getting into the series. There is a lot to watch, and so. I went and um, I started with the first season of Modern Who, uh, the Christopher Eccleston season, and then it, it, he went into David Tennant for three years and uh, Matt Smith after that. And uh, But then I went back and I got uh, old, like, classic Doctor Who DVDs from the library. <laughs> And so that's how I ended up watching um, a lot of Tom Baker episodes, a lot of John Pertwee. Uh, those two are probably my favorite uh, classic doctors. Um, they're both phenomenal, um, worth watching. Uh, and uh, I also watched a lot of the seventh doctor, Sylvester McCoy, because I really love his companion, Ace. She's probably my favorite companion in the Doctor Who universe so yeah um the easiest answer to that was that i spent a lot of time watching doctor who when star trek wasn't on the air now you already answered the question i was going to ask you from classic who who's your favorite doctor because mine was john pertwee what i have seen of doctor who john pertwee is my favorite uh and christopher eccleston for no peter capaldi of modern doctor who Peter Capaldi and John Pertwee. Th those are those are the ones that I like the most from Doctor Who. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, John Pertwee is amazing. Tom Baker is just legendary, um, and and he has the record for playing the Doctor the longest out of anyone. No one is ever going to break his record because he was the Doctor for like at least over a decade. But uh, uh, Tom Tom Baker is phenomenal as the doctor but john pertwee is fantastic too um when it comes to modern who i always go to david tennant like he was initially my favorite but um i have a lot of love for peter capaldi um i have Yay. a lot of love for jody whittaker obviously and i have a lot of respect for matt smith um it's okay Matt Smith is not my favorite out of all the moderns, but I love what he did with the character and how he played it. And I have a lot of respect for him as an actor. I think he's a phenomenal actor. Um, he's on House of the Dragon now, right? Yes. One, one of the, yeah. 
He is on House of the Dragon right now, and I love seeing an entire new fandom look at Matt Smith and go, oh my god, he's so hot, and he's so amazing. Because <laughs> guess what? He is hot, and he is amazing. <laughs> I guess it's my turn now. Uh, okay, so thinking about the time frame that Enterprise ended, because I actually did keep up with Star Trek the entire time it was on the air because it was such a fundamental part of my childhood. I started with TNG as a kid into DS9 and into Voyager. Uh, I was in and out with Enterprise, but I did come back uh, in season four and for the finale. So Star Trek has been there with me through most of my life. But when it ended in 2005, this was around the time where I really got into independent wrestling. Um, Because 2005 was around the time that Ring of Honor and TNA, Total Nonstop Action Wrestling, were really starting to pick up steam. For the longest time, I've never been a big fan of WWE, World Wrestling Entertainment. It's just not the wrestling brand I'm a fan of. And around this time in the mid-2000s, pro wrestling was really a lot of fun. TNA, Ring of Honor, Chikara, even Combat Zone Wrestling if you're into the deathmatch scene. And also at this time, it was I really got into the world of Japanese wrestling. And I was a total wrestling nerd by the time the 2000s rolled around. Um, My co-host on my other show, Doc, calls me a wrestling historian, which I thoroughly deny. It's just that I've been watching a lot for a long time. Uh, But really, with, with the 2000s around this time, it would have been a lot of wrestling, especially pro wrestling Noah, because this would have been around the time that a lot of the main big stars from All Japan Pro Wrestling in the 90s were still really performing and then you had their their junior heavyweight division that featured now Michi Marafuji, Kenta, Taiji Ishimori, and and on and on, really kind of featuring. And at the time, Pro Wrestling Noah was the biggest wrestling company in Japan. They were the company that was main eventing the Tokyo Dome and what have you, selling out fifty thousand people and such. And then in Ring of Honor, where you see a lot of people you see that are popular in wrestling now, yeah, they, yeah. They, got, they got their start. Oh, Samoa Joe, Brian Danielson, CM Punk, Nigel McGuinness, Austin Aries, and the list goes on and on from there. Uh, TNA Wrestling, AJ Styles, The Amazing Red, Low Key, and the list goes on. I could go on for, for days, and including Chikara as well. Oh man, could I talk about Chikara because Chikara was this wacky lucha libre slash comic book slash comedy wrestling promotion that wasn't always comedy. It was sometimes very serious, but it was just a mishmash of wrestling and comic books and it was just brilliant. And... I mean, is it what? Okay, so correct me if I'm wrong because I'm trying to remember my wrestling love back then. Wasn't Shakara the one where they all had to wear like they were all some sort of crazy characters? So they all wore like masks and things like that. There were some, not all of them, okay. uh, but th- but a lot of guys that you see now did go through Shakara. 
Claudio Castagnoli would probably be the best example. Him and Eddie Kingston are kind of Chikara originals. Oh, okay. uh, referee referee Bryce Remsburg is like the OG Chikara referee. Uh, and yeah, for the longest time, Bryce Remsburg was like the the referee of all of independent wrestling. So he's he's got, I'm a huge fan of his. Uh, so with Chikara, it was Lucha Libre. So yes, there were a lot of guys that wore masks. Uh, even some popular independent wrestlers wore masks. Uh, some guys that you might recognize today wore masks in Chikara and had different characters. Uh, and it was really just a lot of fun. Chikara was probably right there with Ring of Honor of the company that I would go see live the most, that I would go out of my way to travel to see live, whether it was going to Chicago or going to Philadelphia. Um, I took a trip to Florida to see TNA once uh, after I got out of the Air Force. And this was just really a great time in the mid-2000s to be a wrestling fan because there was just so much and so many really talented people working everywhere outside of wwe and it was just a really really good time to be a wrestling fan at the time so as some people who listening listen to this might not know i am also a wrestling fan not as huge of a wrestling historian as you are but a wrestling fan and i can completely agree with you on this that the mid-2000s was the a wonderful time to be a fan of wrestling not necessarily sports entertainment as wwe calls it because it that was right around the time where i i opened my eyes to all the independent wrestling circuits and a lot of the independent wrestling circuits got like bigger and had some tv deals where you could actually catch them on tv and you didn't just had to look it up online and things like that around then too so yeah, I completely agree with you. That was a wonderful time to be a wrestling fan. Um, I am one of the people... I loved TNA at the start. Yeah. I thought TNA was fantastic. I thought the thing that brought down TNA was bringing in Eric Bischoff and Hulk Hogan. Before yes, they brought in the two of them, TNA was fucking fantastic. Mm-hmm. TNA was great up until 2010, and then it all went to hell. Yep. So yeah, now you know some of the things that we did when Star Trek wasn't around. So when I talk about these periods of time where there's no Star Trek and I freak out a little bit, please remember, I promise I'm okay. I, I think. <laughs> I think I'm okay. <laughs> I'm fine, really. Um, but yeah, let's jump into new business, Heather, because we do have some Star Trek to talk about, uh, at least for now. Uh, Star Trek Prodigy, we have finally come to the conclusion of its first season. Now, before we really jump into these last two episodes, Heather, I'll ask you, Star Trek Prodigy's first season. First seasons of Star Trek series are always a, a point of discussion, thanks to the next generation and its first season, mostly. How do you feel about Star Trek Prodigy's first season overall? I thought it was fantastic. I thought it was fantastic. It was more than I 
ever could have expected out of this show. And, you know, I really went into this show, like, optimistic, but not knowing what to expect. I love it with my whole heart. I love each and every one of these characters. Um, I cried a lot (laughs) during the last two episodes. I thought this first season was incredible and it really set up it it did a wonderful job of setting up and and introducing you to these brand new characters and uh really getting you ready for the journey that they're about to go on and they they are about to go on an amazing journey in season two and i can't wait i agree with you that this has been fantastic uh, I came into Star Trek Prodigy maybe not as excited as you, but definitely optimistic uh, because I love animation. I think animation is an amazing medium, and I thought that Star Trek was a perfect venue for an animated series, uh, despite what might have happened in the 70s. I think Star Trek was long overdue for an animated series, so I was hopeful. I said at the beginning of the season that it was, for me, kind of on the eh side. Like, I didn't actively dislike the show, but about four or five episodes in, I wasn't entirely sold on the show. I liked all the characters except for one, which (laughs) I I guess, if you think about it, just the fact that I had as strong a reaction as I did to Jankampog is still a positive. I, I still had an emotional investment. In every character in this show, I just didn't like one of them. But as it went on, the things that I noticed is that the visuals of the show were top-notch. The voice acting, top-notch. The characters all had their own interesting stories and, and character arcs and growth. And the story itself really grew and evolved And even the individual standalone episodes where they were going on uh, little excursions and little journeys to do other things, they were all really, really strong. And I ended up really, really being very happy with how this season turned out. I thought it was, I thought it ended up being really, really high quality. And I was, not that my opinion really matters or anything, I ended up feeling really impressed by how good this was. Uh, I expected it to be pretty good, and it ended up being pretty excellent, in my opinion. And it went well above my expectations. So I'm giving Star Trek Prodigy Season 1 two thumbs up. I thought it was really, really good. Oh, absolutely. Two thumbs up. I I think, uh, like I said, I didn't know really know what to expect going in being that this is a kid's show it's geared towards people younger than me but watching it I realized that there's a lot about Star Trek that is set up in the same way that this show is Um, I loved the regular lessons that each episode really had like something to be learned about and I think that's something that Star Trek has always done phenomenally well. And to present it in a kid's show like this was just wonderful. It, 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 it was so wonderful. Um, 
I'm tearing up already. Um, I love the fact that Janeway was the person uh, to help guide these characters along the way and help them learn these lessons because I think that's something she does really, really well. And it's just a testament to her character. And um, I'm so excited that that's going to keep happening. And and, and now we're going to talk about the last two episodes. So we can go into more detail about that, but it, it, it's just, it, it, it's a wonderful format for a show like this. And I love it. Two thumbs up. Two thumbs up for Star Trek Prodigy season one. So let's wrap it up with the two-parter Supernova. Part one, episode 19. Admiral Janeway successfully persuades the guard to release her after being acting a little crazy after the whole body switch incident. <laughs> the Protostar crew take control back of their ship and attempt to escape, but are fired upon. What do you think about this episode, episode 19? Um, it, it surprised me as I wasn't quite sure if like Starfleet was actually going to end up with the the living construct attacking them and episode 19 proved that yes that that was going to happen um i think um i i love the moment in the brig with the the guard who ended up being one of the the refugees that uh janeway let escape through the wormhole and and that small like callback to voyager um like I said, that is once again just a testament to Janeway's character, and that uh, is what helped her got out to get to the bridge, although not in enough time. Um, I loved the 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 battle and to see that uh, the diviner did have parental feelings towards Gwen, and she had. Uh, feelings towards him as her father. I think that's an important part of her character growth to see that. And um, I think that we will see uh, Essencia again at some point. That wouldn't surprise me. That would not surprise me. Uh, What I really liked about this episode is how intense it felt. Uh, there was a lot of what I like to call deadly space action. Uh, it was very intense and it was very exciting. And I like things like that. Uh, a lot of people gripe about modern Star Trek having too much high stakes, too much fate of the entire galaxy resting in the hands of of Star Trek. But I like that kind of stuff. And seeing Starfleet in peril, Starfleet in danger... And seeing the the Solem as a real legitimate threat was exciting and compelling and good TV. We had some action. We had some suspense. We really didn't know how it was going to turn out. You had an idea that it was going to turn out okay, but you really didn't have an idea how they were going to get there. And I really liked how they figured out the space jump. Uh, the body switch and how they managed to get through it all. Uh, I thought the the fights were really, really good. And 
I just thought that this whole thing was really a really great episode. I think the entire episode was just five stars all around. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, so let's jump into part two, Supernova, episode 20. This was kind of an epilogue for, I I felt like, for the last episode where we finally got our real resolution to everything. So what did you think about episode 20? Well, you know, I love that... uh... I love the agency that hologram Janeway showed um, when she made the decision to stay on the protostar to save everyone else. Um, And, you know, and, and, and that's something that really harkens back a lot to Voyager about how Janeway helped advance the sentience of holograms with the doctor on Voyager and now her own sentient hologram has evolved um, just by working with these kids and helping them learn and grow. Um, I, I love that they came up with the idea on how to save this themselves. It wasn't something that Starfleet gave them. Um, and I, I was completely and utterly bawling the entire time during that uh, message that she left for them in their makeshift shuttle. And you know, they, they were left in the middle of nowhere and they had no idea how to get back to Starfleet and they still somehow did it. And <laughs> I think that is a testament to Endgame in which they ended up back at Starfleet headquarters, but we have no idea exactly how they got there. <laughs> they were just there. Um, but I loved seeing Admiral Janeway step into the same role that Hologram Janeway held for them. And I think that's really important considering the way she was introduced to this crew was as the antagonist um, for them. And she showed the characteristics that I know and love in Janeway and came coming to understand them and then ultimately fight for them. Um, I love that. And I love that going into season two, she's going to have these kids with her on the ship. And like, this is going to be their journey now. I think it's a wonderful evolution of where they were in season one to where they are in season two. Uh, They still have Janeway as a mentor. It's just a different form of Janeway, but it, it is still and will always be Janeway. And I love that. It's more of a Janeway than they could have ever expected. It's it's the complete package. It's Admiral Janeway fully realized. And what I especially appreciated is that Starfleet actually made an exception for Dell. Yeah. It, it was kind of something you saw coming, but still, it was good that it happened. And it shows that Starfleet is still willing to kind of bend their own rules at times which they never do ever (laughs) Uh, but it it worked out Uh, I think that Gwen uh, leaving was the right call and I I hope we see her again because I thought she was a a great character with a great story arc her her whole story really developed really well and I'm excited for the kids because now 
they're going to get to go on a whole new adventure and I think they're all going to learn a lot. And the premise of that for season two uh, is really exciting. Yeah, um, I, I, I'm really excited for that part. Okay, here is where my slightly negative thoughts come in. And for the record, it's not really negative towards Prodigy. It's negative towards other people on the internet. Okay. So clearly the premise for season two is that Janeway takes the kids aboard the ship and they go looking for the space-time portal to go find Chakotay. Right. Clearly. Um, so I, I, I got into it with some people on the internet, as I have a tendency to do on occasion, uh, who were very upset about the fact that uh, Robert Beltran is going to be involved in Prodigy. And oh, see- come that, that, on. They, hear me out here. Like I said, this is before I even watched these two episodes. So very upset that CBS or Paramount is paying him money and all that money goes towards like MAGA extremists and things like that. For the record, there is no proof, even based on the premise of season two, there is no proof that Robert Beltran is going to be any more involved than he was in season one, which Literally, like, how many lines did that man record for season one? Not that many. Two? Maybe two? Not that many, okay? There's absolutely no proof that Chakotay is going to play a huge role in season two. And, yeah, Robert Beltran is an asshole. He has really horrible views. But guess what? He's not the only Star Trek actor that has those views. He is just very open about it. Hello, Roxanne Dawson. Yeah. So, I I mean, I get it, but at the same time, he is not the feature character of this show. He's not making a shit ton of money out of this. He's really not. Okay? He's not making, like, Kate Mulgrew-type money out of what he's doing on Prodigy. And so, if you want to get all up in arms and say you need to petition paramount to no 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 like you're being ridiculous like i i i I get it he's a shithead i don't want to pay him any money directly because he's a shithead but you need to be able to separate the art from the artist and i'm gonna tell you folks right now and i'm not gonna name names but I'm going to tell each and every person out there right now, and, and it's not even Roxanne Dawson. There are some other Star Trek actors which have done really offensive things. And, and we know probably, who they are. Probably do not align with the same views that you hold for yourselves. Okay? They're out there. Trust me. I work till 2 a.m. in the morning. I have seen some folks tweet really late at night when they get drunk and they think nobody else is online and then they delete it afterwards, okay? I promise you there are some actors out there that have really shit views. But guess what? Y'all don't know about them. And so you want to sit there and accept their work as fine. Or you choose to conveniently ignore it because you like their work. Yeah, yeah. So, I, like, just 
sit down, okay? There is, I, I, I am fully for being a liberal and supporting people who agree with the same things as me and all that jazz. And I am fully for not supporting toxic individuals who have really offensive views. I am for all of that. But at the same time, Star Trek is a business that involves multiple people. So I'm not going to sit there and try to demonize a show and everyone else involved with the show just because one person has a stupid ass big mouth. Okay. I'm not going to do that. And no one else should either. Like you need to check your priorities here because your priorities are a little messed up. If you're really going to let this ruin your enjoyment of Star Trek prodigy, I, I pity you quite frankly. I, I pity you as someone who robs themselves of joy. Because even as someone who wasn't totally on board in the beginning, who came around, if you are robbing yourself of the joy of watching this show because of one person having a few lines, then then I feel bad for you. I and and it's bad of me to say this, but you know what? It's my podcast, I'm gonna say it. You probably need to touch grass. You probably do. Well, and, and honestly, at the same time, like people want to do that. That's their priority. But my issue is don't shame other people for liking something. If you want to be negative and live in your negative little world and not want to support something because of one big mouth asshole, then that's on you. Okay. But don't sit there and say, oh, no one should support I'll make them. fun of you. I'll make fun of you. Heather might not, but I will. But don't sit there and try to shame me for supporting a show that I love, that has an actress that I love, that has a character that I love. Don't sit there and try to do that. That's inappropriate. I I completely agree. I completely agree. And we, we agree on Star Trek Prodigy Season 1, don't we? Yes. Yes, we do. And I will wrap up with season one saying, I don't totally hate Jenkin Pock anymore. <laughs> but he's on thin ice. <laughs> I feel like some of those Starfleet people he was working with kind of had the same reaction as you. Like, oh my God, what is this guy? And I'm like, like this oh, guy, this okay. This guy's on thin ice, but he's on thin ice. <laughs> Those engineers, they're they're an interesting bunch. Yep. Okay, so let's talk into upcoming business. And I just read this just while we were talking, Heather. I'm going to throw this one at you just completely on the fly. Okay. In 2018, I'm just looking at this article from June in 2018, when Alex Kurtzman signed his five-year agreement with CBS Television Studios. It was a five-year deal. Uh-huh. It is now 2023, and we are entering his fifth year of this deal. What do you think's going to happen? Uh, they're going to sign him to another deal. I mean, seriously, the past five years have been fantastic for Star Trek. Alex Kurtzman has done nothing wrong. Now, the Paramount marketing team, that's another story. 
But Alex Kurtzman has done nothing wrong and deserves a hell of a lot more money. Not only has he done nothing wrong, he's done a lot of damn good, quite frankly, in my opinion. He's done a lot of good for this franchise that he deserves a lot of credit for and and another deal for. So I'm thinking that in 2023, sometime we'll probably hear that he's been extended and there will be a new deal and there will be more Star Trek to come. Which brings me to what we're going to look forward to in 2023. Heather, I will ask you, what are you looking forward to the most? Um, probably right now, uh, of the things that I know will come in 2023, probably right now, uh, season three of Picard. That is what I'm looking forward to the most. And, and, and like I said, everyone who has listened to this podcast and knows me well enough to know I am a nostalgia whore. Okay, <laughs> I will openly admit it. I am a nostalgia whore, and so the entire next gen cast being on season three of Picard, plus Captain Seven, plus Seven and Rafi being wonderfully in love together, um, and like, Lore and Moriarty. Yeah, like uh, and, oh yeah, because I fucking love Sherlock. Okay, too. So Lore, Moriarty, all that shit being in season three, um, as much as I have issues with Terry Metalis, um, who still hasn't unblocked me on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I am, out of everything that I know is coming this year, which is season three of Picard, season two of Strange New Worlds, uh, season four of Lower Decks, because you know we're going to get more Lower Decks, right? Okay, yeah. Um, and season five of Discovery, which will probably premiere at some point this year, probably towards the end of the year, because that's where Discovery always likes to end up. But, um, yeah, season three of Picard really does come at the top of my list on all of that. Um, I, 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 I want some shit to happen in season two of Strange New Worlds, because I was very unhappy with the way season one ended which we have talked about before. Um, I'm looking forward to more Lower Decks. I'm looking forward to more Prodigy. Like I said, both of those, which we will probably get at some point this year. And I always look forward to Discovery because Discovery is my love. Um, but right, right now, out of all of that, tops of my list is definitely the nostalgia horror that is season three of Picard. All right. Heather's going for the nostalgia. Uh, I I have been really thinking about this quite a bit, and it made me think. And I I came with a, a top three. Uh, my third would be the upcoming season of Lower Decks, season four. Second would be season two of Strange New Worlds, because despite everything, I ended up really like liking Strange New Worlds a lot. D- despite my best efforts to criticize and critique the show i ended up really liking it a lot and for me the one that i'm most looking forward to is season five of discovery i've just grown to really love star trek discovery and really root for it uh with season three and season four 
I absolutely love the world building that they've done in the future that they've created. I absolutely love where they're at right now. I hope they stay there. Uh, we've already seen that the uniforms are not changing. So cosplayers, relax. There, there won't be another. <laughs> there won't be another discovery uniform that you have to worry about getting. Uh, I remember seeing the trailer for season five and just thinking, this looks like it's going to be really cool and and a lot of fun. And I feel like without Star Trek Discovery, we wouldn't be here at the end of the day. We would not be here if we didn't have Star Trek Discovery. And I'm always happy to see that entire cast and crew. Doug Jones, Sonequa Martin-Green, Mary Wiseman, Anthony Rapp, my guy, Wilson Cruz, and the entire cast and crew. Yes, even Gray, Heather. Yes, Gray. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, season five of Dis- Discovery probably comes in at number two. I love Star Trek Discovery, and I, I do not use that word lightly. I absolutely love it. Every time a new season premieres, it feels like I'm coming home. I'm coming back home to these characters that I fell in love with and I owe so much to, to getting me back into this fandom. I just love them so much. And that is, (laughs) and it's crazy to put it this way, considering how much of a big budget escapade Star Trek has turned into. But it feels like Star Trek Discovery is like the little show that could. You know, it, 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 it's the show that really, like I said, none of the other shows would be here without Discovery, like you said. It, it's the little show that just keeps churning out seasons and being amazing and standing on its own as an awesome piece of science fiction. And I love it so much. I couldn't, I couldn't agree with you more. And I'm I'm really looking forward to it. All right, Heather. I think that's all we have for this episode. Tell everybody where they can find you. Well, you can find me on Twitter at nerdygal33. Um, you can also look me up on Facebook if you want. I am not guaranteeing that I'm going to add you because I just like to stalk people on Facebook. But I have been using my Facebook more often in case Twitter goes down a rabbit hole. Um, yeah. And uh, I'm talking about all the random nerdy loves. Like I said, I enjoyed talking about a bunch of nerdy things that I love besides Star Trek in this episode. Um, I also love SVU, but fuck Dick Wolf. All right. Okay. And as for me, you can follow me on Twitter at CallMeDJM. I'm both of those on Mastodon and Hive as well. Actually, no, I'm not. On Hive, it's just DJM. I finally found a social network where I got DJM with no kind of funny business, and I'm so happy. I hope Hive sticks around because <laughs> I'm DJM there with nothing else, and I'm going to keep it, damn you. <laughs> Uh, but really, you could follow me on Twitter at CallMeDJM. I do a few other podcasts. You can see me talking about all those other things that I'm really into, especially wrestling, especially anime, and yes, Star Trek too. And you can follow Heather's cat as well, because <laughs> Heather's cat will always have some input, which is okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The internet loves cats. Yes. 
You can follow the podcast at Prom Trek Pod, please. Wherever you get your podcasts, you can subscribe. We hope you unsubscribe and then resubscribe and then unsubscribe and then resubscribe. It really help us in the algorithm. That's why we keep saying that. Heather, thank you for doing the 63rd episode with me. Th- Always a pleasure. Thank you all for listening. And until next time, live long and kick ass.